So welcome to another episode of E4 Explicit Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have, once again, uh, Anthony Davies, and for the first time, James Harrigan, his uh, partner in crime on their podcast. So James, if you want to introduce yourself and let people know who you are, that'd be great. Hi, Corey. Sure. So I'm James Harrigan. I'm the managing director of the Freedom Center here at the University of Arizona. Um, trained political scientist, political philosophy, a specialty, kicked around the United States for quite some time as a political scientist, went to Iraq to become the dean of the American University of Iraq, came back home, started doing things like nonprofit management, worked a little more uh, with Anthony, and I guess that's right about where we, we find me right now. Awesome. And uh, Anthony, what about you? A refresher. I'm a I'm Associate Professor of Economics at Duquesne University, and uh, I basically hang out with James. We write op-eds in uh, major newspapers pretty much every week of the year. Uh, we have a podcast, Words and Numbers, comes out weekly, and just published our first book together, Cooperation and Coercion, which you can all find on Amazon. So make sure to go there immediately after this episode. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, by so, two, by yeah. three. <laughs> yeah. They're like pretty thin. How many pages is it? It's not even that. It's a couple hundred. And, and we think read. it would be perfect for you to hand out to your relatives at Thanksgiving. <laughs> <That's>, oh, yeah. <laughs> perfect. All right, cool. So uh, I'm just Corey. I'm the, the local uh, idiot. These are two smart dudes. So we're going to talk about economics, political things, because. I mean, I haven't done a podcast in five months. My last one was with Rob Carlin from the Washington Capitals um, or from NBC Sports, whatever. Um, and that was like five months ago. And we were supposed to do this in Pittsburgh, but Corona fucked everything up. So, you know, we have to do the Zoom thing. I'm very much an in-person conversation type kind of thing, but I had to succumb to the Zoom. And I, I, that's what you guys do anyways, right? On your podcast at Zoom or no? What, what, uh, we don't do video anymore. We started with video. We're audio only at this point, but we, we really haven't done much since March either for yeah. all kinds of obvious reasons. I, right. It's crazy. So I just want to get right into it, honestly. And I think with everything that's kind of settled, I'm glad I waited because if I would have done this stuff halfway through, it's kind of like, well, the next day, the complete narrative is changing. So it's kind of, it, I, I thought it was kind of strategic anyways to kind of just lay low and then kind of come out with stuff kind of almost afterwards, even though we're not done with this thing, but we know a lot more. So I know that the government had, um, you know, it's a lose-lose situation. Like this is unprecedented, never happened before. What do we do? We're going to piss off one side if we do this and vice versa. So, you know, when I saw the stimulus package, when the, you know, when they conjured that up and then I saw like 1200 bucks a month or, or, or 1200 bucks one time. And I didn't even get one. My girlfriend got one. I didn't get one. So I don't know what that means. Um, and then just kind of like all the business or the money that went to other businesses. Cause last time I talked to Anthony, we talked about Amtrak and how they're going out of business, how they're just that one line from California to Texas or Arizona is basically like bankrupt but then I see in their, in their stuff that they got like a billion dollars. I was just like, what the fuck? So can you kind of explain to me if you can in kind of like layman terms of like what happened, what that meant, and kind of why all these big businesses got bailed out like they did in 08? Well, I'm, I'm probably one of the first people who would say that government has no business bailing out businesses. But I kind of hesitate here when it comes to, to Corona. Because this is not this economic recession slash depression that we're going through is not an economic phenomenon. That is, it's not 
it wasn't caused by things economic. It was a political phenomenon. It was caused by the government coming in and stepping in, telling businesses, look, you're going to have to close. So in, in that sense, it, it, seems, it seems right that the government should be compensating because the government is, is the one that was responsible. Now, ultimately, it's the taxpayers who have to pay this, right? Uh, but th the question we're really asking here is what happens when we turn the economy back on again? Do we want to turn it on to closed shops and wait for entrepreneurs to start up new businesses? Or do we want to turn it on to a higher level of debt because we've handed out all this money, but businesses are there, they're ready to employ people immediately. Um, and I think very much this becomes a question of the lesser of the evils. Now, the ultimate, you know, the best thing would have been not shut down the economy at the beginning, but that's a whole other conversation. But given that we did, I think the lesser of the evils is the bailout. James, do you have anything on that? Or what do you, uh, your... you know, I just find it, I find it overwhelming when Anthony talks this way, and I can call him a socialist <laughs> later. <laughs> but I, ultimately, I think it's right. And, and Ant used a word that I wouldn't have chosen. You used the word compensate. And I would have gone with, they need to be made whole, which uh. brings a little more to the table, right? That government itself took away their, their, their livelihoods. And they need to be made whole from that, or at least as whole as they can be made. And I think, you know, coming out of this, I suspect we've got a, a, a medium-sized disaster anyway, just as it is. And you drive around any mid-sized American city like the one I'm living in here, and you see a bunch of restaurants that are never coming back. You see a bunch of storefronts that are now boarded up. And they're not boarded up because they're afraid of riots. They're boarded up because they're done. Yeah. And I, I think, you know... When you see how many people's lives have been damaged from probably a, a set of decisions on the part of policymakers that came too quickly. Well, I, I don't know what to say to those people, right? And, and if the answer is we're going to use the power of government to make them whole, somehow to me, in my mind, that's a lot different than almost every other government program that we could point to. Sure. So I'm, I'm willing to, to walk that plank with, with Ant. And, and you've got the very unlikely circumstance here where two very free market guys end up saying, yeah, this one might be okay. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you guys are not for big government. No, and and, most, most of the time we're not for any government. government. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the, the problem with a government bailout is, under normal circumstances is that you have a business that the market has decided isn't viable. It's providing things that people don't want or providing things at the prices they're not willing to pay. And when the government comes in and steps in and bails out a business like that, it's second guessing the market. It's saying, look, here's something that we should have sh that should be shut down that we're not going to shut down. This is a very different animal we're dealing with now. This is where the, the businesses are shutting down because of the government, not because of the market. Right, and we should take that a step further too, because Aunt, you and I have done a lot of work about people's opinions regarding business, right? And you might remember that when we asked people what they thought the profit level was, the profit margins were in various businesses, they're wrong and wrong wildly, right? People think that businesses make 30%, 40%, things like this. Well, that's not true. Actually, they're, they're pretty, most businesses in the United States are pretty close to the wire. And when the government says you must shut down and we, we miraculously go from three weeks to five months, there's no way the majority of American businesses can withstand that. They would have had trouble with three weeks given what profit margins actually are. But at five months, 
they're they're all screwed. And what do you want to do given those inputs, right? Do you want to say, well, sink or swim on your own? I don't know if we can say that. That seems patently unfair. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think the the I would say kind of a needed overreach of the government, I guess I'm going to call it. I mean, because I don't know. I thought it was kind of odd to see them just like in just the other day, how I saw Jordan, the the congressman going at Fauci. And I, you know, it's kind of like, what decisions are they making? And then what's kind of like not being made at all and just left up to the state. I think there's just, there hasn't been anything from like the main leadership of, of anyone really kind of like, this is the direction we're going in. This is what's going to happen. It's kind of like everybody kind of fending for themselves. You know, you got California, New York, all these states, I'm in DC. It hasn't been that difficult here. We've seen some obvious changes, but I, I just kind of am confused with like, who's making the decisions and you know what I mean? Yeah, and I count that actually as a as a feature, not a bug. Um, now, don't get me wrong; I don't I don't care for Trump as president. However, I think he made the right call here. Now, whether he made it um, overtly or just fell into it, I don't know. But what he ended up doing was keeping the federal government out of the situation, letting the states handle it. And I think that was the right response because. Coronavirus is very, very different in New York State versus Kentucky, um, even even New York State versus California. And to have a, a, a federal policy applying to everyone would almost guarantee that the policy is, in, in, is inadequate everywhere. It's either too much in some places or too little in others. And in fact, I would have gone even further and say that the, the response to coronavirus should have been handled at a local level because what's true and necessary in New York City is not true and necessary in upstate New York. Right, the, the emergency power and the police powers, they, they reside with the states, they always have. So really, when you look at the criticism that Trump didn't do enough, I'm not exactly sure what people wanted him to do. Now, he could have, I think, sealed up the borders, taken care of maybe shipping lines a little more, but really we're nibbling around the edges when we think about what a president can do in times like this. This really is about governors and the governors will rise or fall, sink or swim, given how they behaved and, and how well they predicted what would happen. Uh, so I suspect, you know, Cuomo probably not coming out of this all that well. Some others probably better than we might've thought, but we're gonna have to talk about 50 different units 51 if you want to throw in D.C., 52 if you want to throw in Puerto Rico, and on and on and on. It's really not a federal issue. So, you know, the, the criticisms that fly at Trump fly at Trump because people don't like him, not because he didn't do something correctly. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, the, 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 so this whole situation, Corona was like the start of it, and then we had George Floyd get murdered, and then we had, you know, it was like a pressure cooker of things. So now we're having the the police officers in New York, specifically New York, you know, de Blasio was just kind of like, whatever. And you got people retiring and this and that. So would you also say like the government aside from, cause I think Portland, they're kind of stepping in. Trump said the other day, like he's kind of stepping in if he has to or whatever, but like, I mean, crime's gone up all this crazy, like non-police state things are happening like they do in the fucking movies. So like, would you say like now is kind of like a good time for for an overreach as well. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so many moving parts, I think, 
from just looking as a normal civilian that's not as educated as you guys. I'm just looking at it like this is this is like a fucking movie. Yeah, there 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 really aren't a lot of reasons for federal troop involvement, if you want to call it that. Uh, even though we could be talking about the FBI or the Secret Service, there's a lot of different agencies we yeah. could be talking about. But just federal police action broadly construed, right? Let's just call it that. There's not really a reason for it until and unless, and this varies by state to state, this is generally correct, until and unless the governor asks for it. So if a governor says, we can't handle this, we need help, the, the president is more than able to send the National Guard in under conditions like that. Yeah. Um, right now, I think we've got, it's, it's almost like a state of invention, right? So why are we sending federal people into Portland? Oh, we have to uh, keep safe the federal courthouse. Really? Uh, I mean, really, under, under what threat is the federal courthouse? Is that somehow worse off than every other building? Right. Will the Portland PD not protect that building? And, you know, this is just invention at the, the executive level at this point. Trump wants to send people in, so he will. And, you know, sooner or later, under normal circumstances, we would say something like, look, that's going to that's going to reflect very poorly on him when the voters realize what he did. But I don't know. The people who vote for him never seem to see his his mistakes, his errors or his character faults. So maybe it maybe it won't. And this is the new exciting place we, we've come to in American politics. Crazy. Both. Both your, your question about the police and, and your earlier question about you know, some blanket federal policy, um, people's thoughts go in this direction. And the thing that Americans, I think, forget is that our 50 states individually are the size of countries. We think of the United States as a country, and that's probably not correct. We should think of it more as a continent. Pennsylvania is in terms of, of the economy, in terms of the population, in terms of the resources, in every way you want to think about it, is the same magnitude as most countries on the planet, maybe put aside Russia and China, right? Yeah. Um, and and so, so too of the other states. And so it makes sense when you realize that, that each state is really a country. Um, it makes much more sense to be thinking in terms of policy and response at a state level rather than a federal level. And city levels beyond that, which we tend never to think of. Yeah, literally never even think of like the, the local city doing anything, making big decisions like that. So do you think that's what they should do? They should, I mean, isn't that what they are supposed to do anyways? Yeah. And, and Ant and I have been very consistent on this point for at least five years. All governance should happen at the lowest possible level, right? So if you can handle something at a town or city level, you should never bring the state authorities into it. Yeah. If you can handle it at the state level, you should never bring federal authorities into it, and so on and so forth. It's it's a nod to the federalism given to us by the framers back in 1787, but it goes, I think, a bit further than that. It's it's an admission that all government, and this is an old saying from the 1970s, right? All government is local. Yeah. And the minute you start seeing it that way, you get a couple of salutary effects. First, you see that problems can, in fact, be solved not just kick down the road for another year. They can actually get solved. And more importantly, I think there is easy accountability because if we're going to solve everything at the local level, trust me, we're all going to know who the people on the town council are. 
Yeah. And they and they can be taken out back and shot yeah. if they don't do it correctly, right? If if evidence of bribes starts showing up, there's all kinds of things we can ha- hold over their heads. Way more pressure election. for them. Yeah. Yeah, qu- quite a lot. When you and and if you think about this, everybody who's listening right now or watching as the case may be, you have more contact with your local government than you will ever have with your federal government. Yet you know who your congressmen are, you know who your senators are, you know who the president is. Who's on the who's on your zoning board? Because, the, because those those people have direct control over your life. Wow. You should absolutely know who's on the zoning board. You should know what they stand for, what they want to accomplish. And this is the paradox of American politics. Where it matters the most, we know the least. Where it matters the least, we know the most. And, and it has ever been so. That's crazy. Do you think that's because a lot of the people rely so much or they think they rely so much on the government, whether it's government yeah. programs and stuff like that. They just, they don't look, I don't look at the city councilman as kind of like, Oh, this person is way more affecting my life than Donald Trump is, even though he, he's he not. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like Donald Trump's not really kind of, there's really nothing right. he's doing. It's directly changing my life. Yep. And when we think about it, I think we fall into a trap. We think of the local people as administrators that's they just good, do yeah. whatever comes next, right? We get policymaking from the big boys in D.C., but we get, trust me, we get all kinds of policymaking at the local level, and it matters. Um, you're going to pay for it in terms of your property taxes. Your property taxes are a real problem if you live in about 10, 12 of the states in, in the country, yeah. and that's determined locally, right? And if you think about it, the, the zoning board, boards of education, Wow, everybody who can get their finger into your into your life is already there at the local level. We just don't pay attention to it. Yeah, I think it's how people talk maybe because every time I hear, like like you were saying, the uh, um, property tax, it's like, oh, property tax in New York is so high. I think New York, oh, I think governor, I think mayor. I don't think local city councilman or yeah. woman. And, and look, those, those property taxes are high because that's how schools are funded. And New York has made its determination that they want to in, invest in education, spend a lot of money in education. Well, there's only the one way you can get it. You got to go wow. tax people who own something. Yeah. Uh, and so property owners become the taxed people in, in, in the room. Damn. Oh, okay. <laughs> pay, pay attention. Right? Yeah. Because this is, this is what's coming for you. I write this down. Oh man! Well, there's something that Anthony talked about last time. He said something that like kind of blew my. We said a lot of things that blew my mind, but this one kind of made me. I could really understand, and I always wanted to know because I always wondered, and I always thought the presidency is kind of like a joke position. Like if really, if we really think someone's going to get something done, that's going to change our life and make it better in four years. I think that's kind of fucking crazy. And Anthony said, "Well, the government was made to, to not be efficient." And everyone's always complaining how slow the government is. Nothing ever happens, blah, 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 blah. So that kind of really made me think like, holy shit. And then I see them kind of act like quickly when all of this stuff hit the fan and kind of solidified that thought of like, well, there, it hasn't been efficient, even though there's like, you know, lesser of two evils type situation. There's really no good situation. It, they had to act fast and the outcome wasn't probably as good as if they, you know, worked unefficiently like they normally do if that makes sense yeah a a powerful inefficient government is a bad thing um the only worst thing is a powerful efficient government (laughs) right efficient governments build death camps 
Yeah. Right? There's always the problem. And every four years, people run for president and some one of them almost inevitably says, I'm going to run this country like a business. Yeah. No, pumpkin. No, you're not. That, that's never <laughs> going to happen. Uh, the Constitution doesn't allow for it. Right. But that's never going to happen. And you should view with great suspicion anybody who thinks that's a good idea. Yeah. I agree with you. That's, it's always been crazy to me that, you know, and then also the fact that like, for instance, in 2016, we had to pick between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, like that no, like no independent, like, uh, or not independent, but no kind of central person like a Gabbard or even kind of a Yang or anything like that would kind of have become close at all without the DNC or like the Republican side monster behind them. How, why is that a thing? And I think our, our forefathers, the those things are kind of showing its age in my opinion. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel. Obviously you're a historian, so you would know way more than I do, but that's kind of, you know, my thought of like, well, maybe should we change it? You know, we, we, we should talk. change it. We should change we, it, but you're not thinking of the right thing to change. Okay. Um, we get the candidates we get, because of the primary system and because of the way the parties select their candidates. So if you want different types of candidates, get rid of that. And if people, this is one of the weird things about American politics. People say, oh, a long time ago, we used to get much better candidates. And I suspect that that's exactly right. But how did we get them? We got them from the smoke-filled back rooms of the conventions that everybody now wants to say are no good and we should nev never use these sorts of things. Well, if those sorts of things gave you the better options, you should be going back to it, not running away from it. But they want to have democratic results, inclusive results. They want the people to get a say in it. So what ends up happening? You've got the Republicans on the right and the Democrats on the left. And in order to win the nomination, you have to run to the hard version of the outer limit. So you get very liberal Democrats and very conservative or populist Republicans. But then when the general election comes, they have to say, oh yeah, fuck that. I, that's not me. And they both become centrists disagreeing on four to 5% of the policies that they want to talk about. Yeah. Well, this is a process designed to give you two lousy candidates. It's the only result you'll ever get. Yeah. It's, yeah, and, and we're only getting two candidates, which is, which is a result of the way that we do the voting. That you know, if you win the election, if you get fifty percent plus one of the of the votes, you get all of the electoral votes from the uh, from the state. This has the result of giving you two options. You get two parties, and this is something we've talked about a lot that disturbs me to no end. And, and I'm even more disturbed. I don't sense that James gets disturbed enough about it. <laughs> and, and that is, and that is that the Democratic and Republican parties are not arms of government; they're private corporations. They were they were found. They're groups of people who got together. They started a corporation or nonprofit corporation and say, "Okay, let's let's raise money and let's put a candidate out there," and they end up controlling uh, the field because you can't you can't really get elected unless you can appear in front of the media on, on the main stage debate. And you can't get into the main stage debate unless you qualify according to the rules. And who sets the rules? The Democrat and Republican corporations. And, and so you've got, you've got in, in, a, in the political realm, two businesses that if they were working in the economic realm, in a marketplace, they'd be, those, the leadership of those two businesses would be up on charges of collusion. And yet we routinely 
put up with this in the political in the political sphere. You're right, Ant. I don't really care about this, um, maybe, <laughs> James. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe not even at all when, when I think about it. Um, primarily because you really don't want the parties to be anything other than private entities. If these are public entities, you're going to have a list of problems so long you'll never you'll never even check off the first one. If you want to see malfeasance, bring the parties into government, right? In in a a strict sort of way, the way that we're talking about right now. But, but ultimately, I don't care because I'm more than happy to tell a politician, I guess that's just tough shit for you, when he says, I can't get on the debate stage. If, if he were better, he would. And this has the net effect of making a third party run very difficult. But I guess you just have to be better than 3% of the vote. And I know we get into this circular thing where we say, well, I, I need to get on the debate stage to get the votes, but I need to get the votes to get on the debate stage. But I'm happy with that first step being a very difficult hurdle, right? And we have examples of party of, of a party replacing another party in the United States. Go take a look at the Republican Party of 1854, or 1856, excuse me. Uh, they ran their first presidential candidate then. Who was it? Yeah, none of us can remember. But by 1860, they ran their second presidential candidate, and Abe Lincoln won. Who's that? All right. Abraham Lincoln. I'm kidding. No. Guy, very, yeah. <laughs> very tall. He wore a funny hat. Um, so I, I look to things like that, and that's what I think of when I think about how what new parties should be expected to do. I think a new party should be expected to capture the imagination of the American people. And if it doesn't, go try better. Go, go do it again next time and just be better at it. Yeah. This has the net effect, I think, of, of pushing them down to a place where they're not going to naturally flourish. But why on earth would I want them to flourish naturally? Yeah. I want them to capture the imagination of the American people. And if, if they could do that, trust me, there's not a force on earth strong enough to keep them out of the debates. But they don't even come close, right? I think last, last election, what was it, 4% or so third-party votes combined, wow. 5%, something like this. All yeah, of them it, failed. It's the Greens, the Libertarians, the Constitutional Party, the Natural Law Party. You just round them all up and give all their votes to one guy. He still wouldn't have been on, on a debate stage. And far from not coming close, they seem to not even try. You know, yeah. it, appear, it appears, from what I can tell, that Libertarians actually don't want to win the election. Oh, I think that's they, very clear. Who they, who they try to appeal to are other libertarians. Uh, yep, well, that's, that's right. not going to win you in any election. You've got to appeal right. to the Democrats or Republicans. And you and I say this all the time, but the American people will not take them seriously until they take themselves seriously, which right. means getting the clown with the boot on his head off, off the, the stage. debate stage. Right? Put him in the back of the room where he goof off like he always wanted. But the guy with the boot on his head doesn't get to debate. And that we even have to tell them this is pretty indicative of their chances moving forward. Wow, that's crazy. Well, do you, do you think that I've I've never really kind of like understood how this stuff where I know like Torah College and all that stuff, but like um, I haven't seen a group of people like uh, Tulsi Gabbard, the the young young guy from not the crazy guy from Texas that wanted the gun thing. Um, oh, what's his name? You talking about Yang? No, yeah, well, Yang, I, I haven't seen, like, a, such oh, a diverse yeah. group of people. Pete Buttigieg, you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's been a lot of, like, kind of, like, 
pretty decent candidates. And I, I always thought like, looked at the person. I don't know much about Tulsi's like economic and, and stuff or her policy and her foreign stuff. All I know is like, she was a woman, she was level-headed, she was a veteran. She has a lot of, you know, check boxes that were marked, right. it seemed, but the Democrats wouldn't even like sniff her. And it was just crazy to me. Well, you're, no, you're it was looking- astounding. They, they had so many candidates on the Democratic side that were who good. Would have attra- who would have attracted a ton of Republican votes. Yeah, I agree. Instead, they, they went with the one guy who would probably attract none of them. He's going to forget everyone. So, But there, there are two things going on here, right? On, on the one hand, to win the primaries, right, to become the nominee, you have to run hard left, right? You have to appease the, the, the true believers in the Democratic Party, and those people are crackpot leftists. Yeah. The Republicans have to do the exact same thing. There's nothing unique about the Democrats here. But the second thing, and the thing that we don't really think about too much, is that you're, you're complaining, and I think rightfully so. I have the exact same complaint, by the way. I found those people very interesting, too, and I would have loved to have heard more from them. Sure. But these are boutique candidates, right? These are candidates that come out of little tiny shops that appeal to a very specialized group of others. But what we really are, what we're always going to end up getting are wholesalers. Got it. Right? We're getting Walmart. Not Cartier. That's just how it is. And, and you, you can't get away from that. That is baked into the system. So wow. if you want to change things, you have to figure out how to change things within those parameters. And that's the part everybody misses. That makes a lot of Tulsi, sense. Tulsi Gabbard, if she could have gotten to the general election, I think would have won it in a landslide. I think so too. Yep. But she never had a chance at the Democratic nomination. That, and do you think she, that's good? She, she can't win a little pool, but she would have certainly won a giant pool. Yeah. Do you yeah. think that's because, though, like the power of the DNC and like her relationship with Hillary and all that stuff that was going on? Like, yeah, I think all that plays. And uh, the fact that Demo- rank and file Democrats who are active in party life, the people would go vote in a primary. That's not what they want. Sure. They want somebody who's a, a God's honest leftist. And she said things that they thought were a little crazy from time to time. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, how, so how, since we know that can be the problem, we know what like the route would be to kind of make it fair, more fair for everyone. How do you even change something like that? Yeah, I don't think you do. So it's just going to be like this forever. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and you have to admit, if you study politics, you have to admit that any number of things that we do probably are suboptimal, right? Probably. But sure. if we changed it to get a better outcome in the immediate issue, the ripple effect that goes through the unintended consequences everywhere else, probably not worth it. And I think what we've got now is it's like watching sausage get made, right? It's lousy. It's embarrassing in yeah. some cases. Well, what would be any better, right? Where, what would, what could we do that wouldn't bring all the unintended consequences that would have us say, my God, we never should have done that. Yeah. Right? I think we made a mistake once upon a time giving 18 year olds the vote. I think that was a real mistake. Yeah. I think 21 is probably still too young, but you have to have a line somewhere. Um, but 18, come on. Yeah, you're still, I mean, you're not, your brain's not even fully developed here. You're almost 30 anyways. Yeah. And, you know, I saw an NPR piece today that said that 18, eight, young people, they didn't specify the group, that young people don't know how to fill out a ballot and don't know how to mail it back in. So we're, we're going to live with the, this idea that young people are too stupid to buy a stamp. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? Th- seriously? 
but apparently NPR was was proceeding without irony in this story. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for big picture things that could change around the margins, the results we get, there's a good place to start. But I can't help but wonder if we're if we're at a point where that change is, is going to happen because, you know, and this has been this is a trend that's been going on for some time. As of right now, more American voters are registered as independent than yeah. are registered either as Democrat or Republican. Democrats and Republicans have actually become minority uh, groups within the political landscape. Yeah, that's right. So the, do you, the data is the data is unambiguous on this point. Really? So do you think that if somebody like a Tulsi Gabbard, like if a Yang and Gabbard ticket was like, hey, you know what? Screw both of these guys. Let's go independent and see what happens. Do you think that would have had more success? No. Yeah, the, the, um, the, the, problem, the system. Go ahead. The problem comes to raising money that yeah. you need an apparatus behind you that's willing to to, you know, beat the bushes, get the donors and this sort of thing. And you can't do that as an independent. You need it goes back to the Democrats and Republicans being corporations. You need a corporation behind you. And it's more it's more than just money, right? Even getting on the ballot in 50 states is very, very difficult. And you need an apparatus on the ground in every state who and you have to, and those people have to know what they're doing. They have to have a working understanding of the process. Um, the day after the presidential election in November, the Republicans and the Democrats are going to start on the next one. Sure. The day after. Well, we'd already have no idea if anybody's running as an independent and we won't for three years. And then that guy will have to get all the way up to speed in about six months. Yeah. And that's never going to happen. Yeah. So they get a big jump. Yep. The only, the only way for outsiders to succeed here is to replace one of the two existing parties and co-opt their infrastructure. Is that kind of like what Trump, because he started, he wasn't even Republican when he started, right? When he started running and he said, eh, fuck it. I'll just go to them. Well, he, he did run as a Republican the entire time. He had been a Democrat in his previous life. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, but no, you, you'd have to have people actually putting a, a, an existing party down. They would have to look at it and be able to pull the plug on it. And that's really hard. That's a very tall order. Um, even a terrible presidential campaign, something that would net you, say, 38% of the vote, that wouldn't leave enough people so disaffected that they'd say this party shouldn't even exist anymore. Yeah. It has and to be so obvious. Get, yeah. That's where you'd have to get in order for a, a third party to, to, to gain ascendancy and notice what would happen. It would still be two parties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, and the third party never happens. The yeah. replacing of the second party sometimes does. That's and, and even then, the replacing of the second has only happened what, James, twice in our yeah, history? Yeah, a couple of times you can make the case, but yeah, you know, really, it, it's certainly not enough to even bother talking about it. Yeah. And, yes. And there, and there you go, right? And yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Damn it. <laughs> what will we do? So you know, first, the first thing you have to realize, and this is this gets us to, I mean, these. This is the setup, so now let me give you the sucker punch that comes at the end. Sure. You're going to get nothing but terrible results, right? That's baked into the system. You're going to have a bunch of shit results. Yeah. The only winning play is to limit the number of things that these people can do. Because As far as talking if, about the government, you mean? The that's right. If, you only, if you're only going to get shit results, then you should get fewer results than you now get. Got it. Because they're all going to suck. So really what you want, dare I say it, is limited government, something that we talk about here but haven't had in 100 years. 
why? Why haven't we had limited? Because yeah, in short, the progressive movement starting in 1909, working forward, took away all of the things that kept government in its place. The Article One, Section 8 list that Congress must meet in order to act became a list of suggestions given the progressive input. Uh, what came next? A massive federal bureaucracy. Well, you, you turn a bureaucracy on, you can never turn it off. It just yeah. gets bigger and more pervasive over time. Yeah. Right. If you want government to, to be decent and respectful of individual rights, it has to be limited. And as long as most people in this country say things like the government should fill in whatever you want in the blank, you will not have limited government. That's crazy. Holy shit. It's actually pretty simple and straightforward. It actually right? is doesn't, really simple. Yeah. Doesn't take a genius to figure it out, but, but there you are. Oh, man. And, and, this, and it happens this way because we can, we can conceive of outcomes and we can say things like there should be less poverty. Well, then we turn to the government. We say, well, make a law so that there's less poverty. What, what we can't conceive is how the complex market system would bring this about, how voluntary action would bring this about. And so our tendency is not to look there. It's to look this other place, but but actually the solution lies with voluntary action. Wow. Coercion at the level of, of, of a government does almost never gives you the outcome you're looking for. If you're lucky, it won't give you a worse outcome. Right, and and, and you, you know this because you've seen me do it, but every time Ant and I go somewhere to speak and somebody starts getting on us for this sort of line of reasoning, I say, okay, I want everybody in the room to just think for just a minute and let me know the, the government project or initiative or law that worked in exactly the way everybody said it would, what was the one thing out there that we could all think of right now that was an unmitigated success that worked exactly the way the people who designed it wanted it to? Came in under at or under budget in the, in the exact amount of time or less, and nobody ever has a single answer. Not one. I asked that question probably a hundred times before uh, I, what I took to be about an 80 year old man raised his hand and I said, yes, sir. And he said, the Hoover Dam. And I think, you know what? That's probably right. It's the, the one. Hoover Dam, Hoover Dam actually, for the most part, came in at what people said it would, did the things they said it would do. But it took a long time to get that single answer. And it's the Hoover Dam. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm okay with it. It it doesn't knock my socks off. That's what I'm saying. It's okay. not like yeah. It's not, yeah, right. It's not. It's not the it's hot not police reform. Thing. It's not. Yeah. That's it's right. Not, right. That's which right. which makes it the most expensive solution in the history <laughs> yeah. of humankind. That's <laughs> it will pay for itself over time. I, I suspect it has <laughs> by by now with the electricity that's generated. Right. And well, okay, but look at what that tells you. It yeah. tells you that every single government initiative is likely to come way short of what its proponents say it will accomplish sure because that's just how it is i can predict with a hundred percent certainty how uh, that everything they try to do in the next congress will end up being an unmitigated fuck up yeah why well because i got 200 years of history yeah <laughs> it's not about these congressmen i don't think they're evil i mean some of them sure but you know this is just how things work so if that's true you should limit what the federal government can do and do what force it down to the state and local level where government has to be a little more proactive 
yeah. a little more in line with what the local culture dictates. Yeah. You is it kicking it up to the federal level? We're going to have nothing but trouble. I was going to say, is that why like kind of it's scary when I, it's scary for me to hear when people say like uh, defund the police and do all these things and defund this and take this away. And, and then, cause I know that that's probably going to end up if it did get to a federal level, that's kind of scary. Uh, not just that topic, but just in general, like when you start saying general things like that, who else is going to take care of that? Oh, the government, let's just let them do it. And the next thing you know, we're in a, you know, total recall or something like that <laughs> <laughs> or minority report, whatever, any of them. Politicians are happy to run with the ball. When you say, here's a problem, I need you to fix it. Yeah. Um, be, because whenever we say that it's an opportunity for politicians and bureaucrats to expand their power, which they'll happily do. And then when things don't work out, for example, take the economic shutdown and coronavirus. You know, when we got this, this massive unemployment, um, what do politicians do? Well, they say, yeah, but if I hadn't done this, look at how much worse it would have been. Right. True. And then we all nod our heads and say, oh, yeah, thank God you did what you did. When, in fact, they haven't done anything. At best, they, at best they've done nothing. At worst, they've, they've made the situation worse. Right. Tom Sowell's been talking about this exact point for the last 40 years. Uh, he, he's right to do it, right? I, the minute you hear, I mean, there's a couple of phrases that you know nothing good happens after you've heard them. Imagine how bad things would have been if we didn't act is very clearly one of them. Uh, the next one is do it for the children. Yeah. Right. You, you know you're about to get you're about to get rammed hard the minute a politician says do it for the children. Yeah. It's always nonsense from that point forward. And, you know, you, you start to pick up on these things as you watch government for decades instead of years. And what do you see? Well, now in my old age, I see young people falling for it the same way I saw young people falling for it when I was young. Right. Uh, and it takes a long time because we don't transmit this form of political knowledge all that well. So it's going to take some time for them to figure it out, too. And by the time they do, their kids will not be figuring it out and so on and so forth. Right. So. Everything we say typically yields the answer. You should limit government very completely from the start. Yeah. No. That's the only way that it really works. That makes sense. It makes me think of like, cause I'm third, I just turned 32 in May and now I'm thinking like, damn, when I was 21, I was like, had the craziest fucking ideas, like not practical, like whatever. And then now I'm like, like not that I'm like oh I'm like wise I'm still an idiot but I'm saying like I just I've experienced more I know more things and I think things completely differently now um and so when I see this on the news and I see people saying crazy shit I'm like you have no you literally have no idea what you're talking about but yet it's blasted everywhere it's it's making things happen it's making mayors say I don't want to deal with this police stay back it's you know what I mean it's just like, I don't well, know what to think. You, you get this now with there was a push back in March and it's starting to gain steam again about um, uh, putting a moratorium on rent that no, you, you know, you don't, people don't have to pay their rent by government fiat, Yeah, which, which is exactly the sort of thing I would expect someone who has, who has only ever rented a place to understand who's never had to, to hold down a job and, 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 you know, raise a family and maybe even maintain a business. When you do that, you realize, you know, this rent that you're paying is going, it's not going into the landlord's mattress. 
He's using this to maintain the thing that, you know, the, the fact that you have uh, air conditioning that's working, you have a roof that isn't leaking. The fact that the building even exists yes, yeah. because the landlord has got to take this money and pay the mortgage on the property, you know, to, that paid for the people who built the thing in the first place. And, and you realize um, w- with a little bit of perspective that saying something like that is complete nonsense. Right. And, and you know, to, to get to the one that everybody loves the most student loans, right? College should be free. Right. Well, you know, an 18 year old says this kind of nonsense and I, I really don't think ill of, of, of them. They're, they're young. They have no idea how these things work. They're idealistic. They think, well, everybody benefits if this thing doesn't come with a massive price tag. Yeah. They'll never extend that to Lamborghinis should be free. Right. And they'll never understand it's the exact same argument when it comes right down to it. But I don't expect young people to be all that bright. I expect older people not to take them all that seriously. Sure. And, and that makes perfect sense. But I would just, you know, of the three of us, do any of us want to live with the choices the 18-year-old version of us made? Absolutely and, not. And I suspect the answer to that is a very loud no. It, very I, I think loud. I think it's important before we get, generate too much hate mail for you. We're, we're not saying that 18-year-olds are stupid. That's not the point at all. The, the point is there are things that you learn through experience because that's the right. only way you can learn them. We currently don't teach them in, in schools. There are certain things you, you can only learn through experience and that experience comes with time and 18 year olds, generally speaking, not all of them, but generally speaking, don't know these things. I, I give you an example. I had a conversation about the student loan uh, forgiveness with one of my students who is very bright, very bright person. And, and the student was advocating for giving student loans. And I laid out the whole argument that, look, the money that, that you're loaned, that you're using to pay your tuition, is coming from someone's savings that they put into the bank. And to, to say, well, let's forgive the loan, what you're really saying is, let's not give the money back to these people who put it into the savings. And who are these people? They're retirees or people who are approaching retirement or people who are saving for a house or whatever it is. And, and it was like this, this light dawning. You could see it in the student's face. And again, it's not the student was, was stupid. It was simply a, a piece of a factoid that was pertinent to this question that the student had never run across and wouldn't necessarily have run across yeah, in, in the 18 years of living. Somebody else who you've heard of has, has, walked this road intellectually and it was over 2000 years ago was aristotle who said the young are not proper hearers of political things why damn he said that 2000 years ago because they're young <laughs> and all smart. the all the all the criticisms you've just laid out aristotle saw very clearly and he said look you you have to have some experience by the time you're about 35 he said now it's time damn i think that's more or less right yeah. Now, I know whatever line we draw is going to be arbitrary, right? If we draw it at 21, some 21-year-olds will not be as mature as some 14-year-olds. Sure. I get that. It's arbitrary no matter what. But there are better and worse arbitrary lines. And I think 21 is much better than 18, and 27 is better than 21. I agree. You know, we, we've walked this 18-year-old road for a while, and it turns out they don't really vote in overwhelming numbers. So it doesn't really swing much. So I doubt that we're ever going to see somebody trying to, you know, we need another constitution to, to dial it down. Yeah. So I doubt that's going to happen. But what we have seen uh, from the Democratic Party most recently is them trying to get even younger people the vote. Uh, some of them were floating 16 or so. What? 
Yeah. And, you know, think about all the things you're not allowed to do at age 16. Yeah. But, but maybe you can vote. And it, it died, it died like a flat pancake on the, uh, on the sidewalk. Yeah. Thank God. But the fact that they even floated it at all indicates that they had it in their minds that it might work. Yeah. Well, that, that my, my thing is I don't understand the age thing with that kind of stuff anyways, because like it's your constitutional right to vote, right? Yeah. But it's also your constitutional right to own a firearm and you can be 18 to get a shotgun and rifle, but you have to be 21 to buy a handgun versus, you know what I mean? So like little things like that, shouldn't there just be like a blanketed like age or like, and Anthony and I, we, we did this last summer. We uh, thought about uh, on an episode of Words and Numbers, the podcast we do, we thought about what it would be like to have a single age of a single majority age sure. for every single thing across the country. And I, I think it cleans up the laws so nicely that we'd be well advised to give it a shot. What age? Uh, I think yeah, that's it the question. <laughs> I think it almost doesn't matter, right? You, you pick the, the age at which you think everybody should be utterly responsible for their actions. And I, I think you can muster a good argument for 18. You can muster a better argument for 21, which means 19 and 20 are on the table, right? There's, there's yeah. a number of different yeah. ways we could go. My, my suggestion was that it be variable. You get to decide for yourself. So you can decide it at any point in your life. Henceforth, you, you file a legal document. I am now of age. What does that mean? It means I have all the rights that come along with being of age, but it also means I now have all of the responsibilities. So yeah. things like getting second and third chances when I you know, screw up with the law, nope, you don't get that anymore. Things like you know, not being held to contracts because I'm a minor, you don't get that either. Right, so there's pluses and minuses. It but you do get a driver's license and a job, right? Right, And yep. any other thing that you might need. And I think this is an elegant solution to a problem. Yeah. It, it may be too complicated given how things work, but I suspect it isn't. I suspect we could make this one work. That's so crazy. That would be cool, man, to pick like, oh, you know what, I'm 30. I think I'll be responsible now. But up until then, you can't do shit really. So right. you kind of have to, that's it's so an, interesting. It's an admission that everything in life is a matter of trade-offs that in order to get something, you're going to have to give up something, right? That we, we do this all the time, right? Yeah. We, we walk through lives. We are, we are cost benefit machines. We look at the outside world. We think I want that, What but it's going to cost me this. Is it worth it? And we do this literally every day. You can walk into the grocery store, literally cost benefit analysis, literally sequentially for an hour. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and that's fine, right? That's just hardwired into the way we think. Well, why not extend that? Yeah. And I like Ant's answer here. I really do. Yeah, that's a good, that's interesting. I, I would like to see what that would look like, whether it happens or not, who knows. But um, mm-hmm. the, the one thing that we kind of saw, like a little miniature, um, what's the Yang uh, income, income thing called? What do they call it? The, the freedom. Oh, UBI. Yeah, UBI. Free, the freedom dividend. Um, <laughs> freedom dividend. Yeah, then he switched it back, I think. But we kind of saw a little bit of that, of the government giving everybody $1,200, which is, I thought was just fucking crazy to me. I'm thinking like, how can anyone do anything after you told us that we would be closed for three uh, weeks. Now we're going to five months and still have only gotten one check. Could you imagine like, why? Oh, I, I mean, people are losing their jobs all the time, but like $1,200 and like the most you can get is 2,400 in a household. I don't know. I just, it was crazy, but I think I, we kind of, did you think we saw like a little miniature version of that and seeing like what it could look like, do you think, or is it just kind of, no, I don't think we saw a miniature version because we only saw one side of it. 
we saw the side where people get checks. We haven't uh. seen yet the side where the taxes go up to pay for the checks. Now, I, I think with, with the extended unemployment, um, this is less so than the $1,200 checks, but with the extended unemployment, I think the government made a serious error. And the error, the error is that they set the, the level, I forget what it is, like $600 a week or something. Yep, 600. But they, yeah, they set the, the number high enough that it actually was worth it for a lot of people to remain unemployed because the $600 is more than they would have gotten from their jobs. Mm -hmm. And I think the right way to handle that would have been to, um, to combine those two programs, the $1,200, the, 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 the one-shot deal and the, the unemployment benefits, and just say, look, let's pick a number in between, you know, and maybe we want $600, whatever it is, but pick a number of dollars, X, everybody gets this. You know, once a week, we're gonna send this check out. It's not gonna be $1,200, it's gonna be something, and it doesn't matter whether you work or not. Now, what this does is it now gives people incentive to go ahead and find a job because I'm not going to lose this money I'm getting from the government, but it gives a little bit of extra boost to, to this, to what's going on, given that the government has shut everything down. I think that would have, that would have been a much smarter move than yeah. what the government actually did do. That would have been more expensive though, right? Obviously, because you're giving more money away. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that it would be more expensive. I doubt it would have been a lot more expensive. Um, <laughs> If, for a number of reasons, one of which is you don't have under that scenario, although you may be handing out more money, you create, you don't create the drag on the economy by giving people an incentive not to work. That makes sense. That's crazy. Damn. That would have been nice to get 600 bucks every week. But then I don't know. I feel like I would have been like, cause I was still working luckily enough to, to work and this and that. And, and, and I don't know. I just feel like that would have made me kind of like, I don't know, not lazier, but kind of just been like, well, you know, I got the 600 bucks. Oh. I'll do much, you know? Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. It would have given you less of an incentive <laughs> to get it because I got the $600. Maybe I'll just mm -hmm. take a couple of weeks off, something like that. But notice <laughs> what it doesn't do. It doesn't give you the hard stop of, Oh my God, if I take a job, I lose this check entirely. That's true. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think of it like that. Remember I'm an idiot. Um, it's like a, it's like a welfare trap for workers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about like the, like why I've always wondered why Bernie Sanders is not fucking one yet. He's crazy enough and he's kind of like wild enough. Like he's got that Trumpish kind of like swagger, but he's like, has some, like you think about it, like, wow, that's a really good idea. And obviously none of us are economists and really understand how shit really works. So on the surface, it looks good and sounds great, but a long term, it's probably going to suck. How come someone like him hasn't won yet when he's gotten so popular? Well, Bernie likely should have won. I, I use that word, the word should, I think, with a certain amount of trepidation, but he should have won last time. Right? I, he was a juggernaut. He was there ready to pick Hillary Clinton off, and the DNC came in and saved her, right? Because she was their preferred animal. Yeah. And he was not. Got it. But I think by, by rights, he could have won that time. Is his star had faded a bit by the, by the time we got to this one four years later. Yeah. But, but four years ago, he was looking like it was going to be the, his, his turn. Wow. And the Democrats really cut him off at the knees when it started to look that way. This is why Hillary Clinton seemed that she had been anointed by the, the high level democratic people. Yeah. And it, and it was almost like a coronation for her. Sure. And, and he was just to go away. So they cut him a deal and he walked, but I think if 
if Democratic politics were even close to fair, he could have won that time. Not this one, but that one. Wow. Yeah, you think because Biden, what we have with this, like who do you guys think is going to win? Obviously, I personally think Trump's going to win just by default of the way he handles himself and how Biden is just kind of like, I don't know. But it's incredible that we're even having this conversation. (laughs) Because neither neither one of those would make my top five hundred. No, that's what I'm that's for, what I'm saying. <laughs> that's my point. Like why? Like we have these two nincompoops that we get to pick from every year, and you already answered why. But it just sucks because it's like Biden is gonna is literally like it seems like he's suffering from dementia, and then we have Andrew Tr- Andrew Trump. God, I'm like <laughs> stuck on Yang. Donald Trump, who's just kind of him, it's Donald Trump. So you know, it's just cr- it's crazy. I, I would imagine, and this is more James' area than mine, but I would imagine that, that Biden could clinch the deal by selecting the right vice president because people are going to look at that and they're not going to see a choice between Trump and Biden. They're going to see a choice between you know, some Republican eight years from, or four years from now and whoever Biden's running mate is. Mm-hmm. If he That's picks right. somebody solid, the, my dream candidate who's never going to be there is Condoleezza Rice. Just perfect in every way. Really? Yeah, oh, sure. Absolutely. She's a, a centrist Republican woman. Perfect. If, if, if Biden wanted to throw an olive branch to the American people, he's already said he's going to pick a woman. And a woman of color, a, he said. He should, yeah. And he should pick a Republican woman who is more middle of the road, right? Not a fire breather by, by any stretch. Um, but somebody that normal Americans could look at and say, wow, if Biden didn't last through his term, she would make an excellent president. Well, why not Tulsi Gabbard? Because you have someone who people. It's never, it's never going to be Tulsi Gabbard. Never. What girl she, is. She, she she threw too much mud at the Democratic establishment. They will never pick yeah. Tulsi Gabbard. They're going to pick. They're going to pick Kamala Harris. Yes. Who is a disaster of a human being. She's the worst. She's terrible. I wouldn't invite her to lunch at my house, let alone (laughs) want her to be vice president of the United States. Uh, I think Elizabeth Warren is still very much in the running. Really? And and she's crazy. Well, let's just be honest. She's nuts. (laughs) And and this is what what you get, right? So I'm with Ant on this one. Condoleezza Rice is absolutely my dream candidate for any of the four slots moving forward. Really? But, Even though uh, you've seen her in the, she was in the Bush administration, right? I thought, I thought she was a class act. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's never going to happen. No. He will not do this. He's going to pick some crackpot leftist yeah. who everybody's going to look at and say, my God, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And then we're all going to be holding our nose again, voting for A or B. <sighs> Right. We're all, we're all going to say the same thing. I hate that guy the least. Yeah, that's, that's exactly no way, right. And that's no way to, to elect the president of the United States. Yeah, it, it's it, as if it's some massive prank they're playing on American <laughs> voters. <laughs> that's yeah, so true. As if, right? As yeah. If. <laughs> I feel like that. it's a giant prank. Well, see, and also, like you said, if, if, if Biden does pick uh, a loose cannon or just some, some cracked out person, it's going to give Trump even more ammunition to like, this is like fish in a barrel for him. I mean, these videos of Biden and these memes of Biden are just just like the Hillary shit where he was just picking, it was like masterful how he would just pick one off sleepy Biden and this and that and like all this stuff. And I'm just like, 
I don't know. I just don't think this guy stands a fucking chance, no matter who he picks. That, that might be right. And look, I have a very bad track record at picking electoral winners. I'm, I'm almost always wrong. Um, but I, it's hard for me to imagine how Biden doesn't win. Doesn't win? The, the economic situation has gotten so grim. People always vote their pocketbooks. They, they vote their wallets. And unless 20, 30 million people get back to work in the next two months, I don't see how he could possibly win. Wait, you don't see how Biden can win? No, I, uh, Trump. Really? Yeah, look, incumbents have a very hard time retaining the office when we're in the middle of an economic problem. Wow. And, and that's trackable. You can go through history and just see. And, you know, Franklin Roosevelt stands as counterexample. So you can win re-election in bad times, but you're not likely to. Damn. But oh. I, I like Clark Neely on our last episode of Words and Numbers. I saw that. Had an interesting take on this. Uh, which I, I've come to embrace. He said that the best thing that can happen for America is for Trump to lose by a landslide. That's right. In, in, indicating that the American people have come together. Wow. Yeah, That's... you want somebody to walk out of the election with a mandate, right? And it's only going to be if, you know, when, when Reagan ran against, against Mondale, I think he won 49 states or something yeah. like this. Yeah. That, that's the kind of thing that you need to see. You need to see a, a total drubbing state by state. Really? And that it's, it, tr Trump can't win a number of states, but Biden can. The, the electoral math works better for Biden. Then that's why that you think they picked Joe Biden. Well, it, look, any Democrat's going to win New York and California by default. Sure. I mean, any, every Republican starts with a deficit. And I think this time around that deficit may be, it may be too much. Wow. Damn. I really so, thought you guys are going to say Trump was going to win. I don't know if Trump can win Florida. I don't know if he can win Ohio. These are the second tier states after the gigantic ones. Uh, I think even Texas might be what? questionable. I suspect he wins Texas, but, but Ohio, Florida, right? These places, I don't know. Now and we have to remember this this is now what the beginning of August. Mm -hmm. right, we got we have we have got almost what? we got almost a hundred days right now. I think it's like yeah. 98, 99 days. And I think there there are two things that could happen that would cause things to swing the other way. One is that that we unlock the economy and this thirty three percent annualized GDP decline we saw last quarter. We're going to see it in the other direction, and people are going to feel a lot better about everything. That's one thing. The other thing that can happen is that Biden opens his mouth. Yep. As long as long as he remains in the background and quiet, he's gonna he's gonna win. If he, he gets out there, yep. He never he, should he have should... agreed to do debates. Never should have yep. agreed to it because he can only lose in a debate. He want he waddles out onto that stage. Trump will eat him for lunch. Yeah. He doesn't have the firepower to keep up anymore. If I were his advisor on the campaign, I'd have kept him in his basement. He wouldn't have said a word between today and election day. Yeah. Because Trump can only harm himself. True. You leave him to his own devices, he's going to tweet himself right out of office. <laughs> but if if you give him a target, and it's a legitimate target, and it is, yeah. Um, now it's not so. Now I'm not so sure. Damn, three, I never. That's he, crazy. He agreed to three debates. That's nonsense. What? What? Who's Who's advising him? Biden did for the for the. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. They should have just kept him at home under lock and key. Wow. 
So do you think that like, obviously with the economy coming back on, but then like to your point, Biden talking and stuff like that, I thought he was so cool. And he was like, cool, Uncle Joe, like when he was behind Obama, he didn't say much. He would always wear the aviators. He's just like a bad motherfucker. Now I look at him completely different. And it's because I think, like you said, he's talking more. He's not making a lot of sense. And it's like scary to think like, okay, that person's going to be running the country. But I did hear on another podcast that someone did say that these people aren't looking really at Biden. They're looking, like you said, at that vice president. That potent, You know what I mean? So that makes way more right. sense. I, I can't remember a vice presidential pick being more important in my lifetime. Really? No. No, there was – look, when, when Reagan ran, he was old – by most people's estimation, uh, he was he was seventy when he took yeah. office, and people were saying then, "Oh, he'll never make it." And and look, by about year six, it was clear that he had lost a step intellectually. Really? That's the nicest way I can put it. Yeah, um, it, it's pretty clear that Biden is much further down that road now than Reagan was as he was getting ready to sure. to make his final press for the office. I think it's almost impossible for me to imagine that Biden's VP does not become president because he's no longer able to, or, or he's passed away. So I think the choice for that one slot is ridiculously important right now. And if, if he does a John McCain and picks some idiot like Sarah Palin, um, yeah, you know, he, he runs the risk of losing an election that was his to have. Damn, and, crazy. and given how the Democrats often behave around the, around election time, I could see him doing it. Yeah. This is just the kind of foolishness they would do. Do you think that the, that Trump's going to be able to push the election, like he said? No. He legally can't do that, right? No. Sorry. I don't know. No, only Congress. Fucking Siri. Damn. Con Congress, Congress sets the dates for elections. So when he says he's going to do it, that's constitutionally prohibited. Of course, that hasn't stopped him before. Uh, really? Well, like what? Yeah. He knows he can't do this. Everybody in Congress knows he can't do this. The Supreme Court would never allow this. This but, is cut and dry. It's never going to happen. It's just media ploy to. Look, he's, he's going to say it just because it causes a big giant flame ball. Yeah, it definitely um, did. And then, you know, he, that we all talk about him for another three days. Yeah, look at us. Winning, right? Yeah. Winning. Um, but no, that, that's a non starter. That's never going to happen. That's wow. like saying, that would be like him saying, well, we're going to outlaw religion here. And everybody's saying, well, what about the First Amendment? And him saying, no, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Con Congress and the Supreme Court would never even think to get on board with that. So too elections. It's not going to happen. Damn. I'm just still kind of blown away that you guys think that Trump could, is more than likely going to lose. I, was, I really came in this conversation being like, they're going to say Trump. There's no fucking way. But now that you say it, it kind of makes more sense. Well, oh, remember how bad yeah. my track record is. That's true. That's true. I was trying <laughs> you to. Would make, you would make a lot of money if you just followed me around and bet <laughs> on the opposite thing I say all the time. Well, why is that? If you're if you're a, a political historian, you should know better, right? I should, but apparently I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's so funny. Well, I'll, just one more question as far as the, the shit show, everything that we have. So, the um, the police situation that we have um you know in portland you guys talked about it in your last podcast is the secret is that what you mean the secret police people putting up in unmarked vans throwing people in and just rolling out like yeah out of the movies how like 
how and why is that happening there? And, you know, you got Chaz in Seattle, you know, these mayors and governors just saying, hey, guys, do whatever you want. Cops aren't, you know, coming in and stuff like that. How do we solve? Because it seems like there's like 30 giant fireballs just coming down and it's just like, what do we do? And how do we kind of solve these problems? You know, not even Corona, just in general. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how we solve them, um, but I've got some strong opinions as to how they came about. And I think they've, they've come about because over generations now, um, we, have, we have made the law so complex that it's unclear when to, to a law-abiding person what is and is not permissible. And, and then we've gone, outlawed a bunch of things that reasonable people don't have any problem with, and then we've asked the police to enforce these laws that people don't see any sense in. And so in, in a real sense, we've put the police in an untenable situation. Um, and, and then as things get worse, what do we do? We give them military equipment. We, we give them a military mentality. And that can only result in one thing, which is the police considering themselves on the front line in a war against who? The citizens. And, and let's take it where it needs to be taken, right? Because there are two judicial things that happened along the way that make it even worse. The first is the Supreme Court ruled that the police don't have to help you. What? Yeah, they're, they're under no obligation to come and rescue you. Think well, about since what that when? Uh, I forget what year it was, it was quite some time ago. Wow. Yeah, there, there were a couple of Supreme Court cases. The, the egregious one happened in your town of Washington, D.C., where um, uh, there were, it was a house of a, a several women living there. Somebody breaks in. They call the police. They're hiding in the attic. Um, the police do a drive-by. They don't even walk in. And nothing happens. Um, one of the women is brutalized. The other two call the police again. Uh, and this is over the course of several hours. The what? other two end up the other two end up getting brutalized. They sue the Washington D.C. Uh, police department. It goes to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court's final ruling was that the police do not have an obligation to protect you. Right. No, that's exactly right. And I know it's shocking, but it's about to get worse because the police also are not responsible for understanding or knowing the law that they're enforcing. Ignorance of the law for the police is fine. Ignorance of the law for you is not. What? That's true. There, there, look, there are always reasons. When you look out and see a social phenomenon that you think reasonable people wouldn't be participating in, right? yeah. if you look out and see something crazy, trust me, there's a reason for it. it the, the way that the courts have set things up for the police this is the answer you're going to get, period. And then you add qualified immunity on as strike three here, and it, you make it impossible to even hold them accountable yeah. for, for dereliction of duty. There's really nothing left to say here. Those three things, if you could turn them back, would utterly transform law enforcement in the United States. To the better. Oh, without question. Without question. And here's the thing. Everybody knows that. And they're still not going to do it because the incentives are aligned in such a way that they won't. And by everybody, you mean politicians? I mean everybody. Yeah, politicians, police officers, educated citizens. Shit, I everybody, know that. everybody knows that these three things cause most of our law enforcement problems. Damn. 
didn't even know the first two. I knew the immunity part, but God damn. Yeah, most most people don't. But if but now that you do, and I'm sure you'll go look into this at some point later today, maybe just to get yourself up up to speed. Yeah. You'll look at the details and you'll think, well, no kidding, it ended up like it ended up. Yeah, it makes sense. That just okay. by you telling me alone, that makes sense of how yeah. they can't get in trouble for anything, and they're not responsible yeah, no, legally to the, come help the, you. The police, and this is a term Anthony used for years. The police are accountants of crime. They come after the crime has been committed and they write a report on it. They're not preventing it. Yeah. They're not catching people in the act. Sure. And they don't have to. Damn. They is come that... after somebody's blood is on the floor and then they write a report. Yeah. Are you uh, like, um, is that why when like people say, oh, you're, you're, you're a civil servant, you're protect and serve, blah, blah, blah. I've, anytime I've ever seen someone say it to a cop, it, they literally don't give a shit. They're just like, that's not even. Yeah, no, that, that's a saying that looks great, um, painted on the side of a police car. They take their oath, right? So maybe it means the, something to them for, for that reason, but the law will never hold them accountable for that. What? And when the law won't hold, and when the law won't hold you accountable, you're going to get a lot of that behavior. Wow. It's just that simple. If I live here in Arizona, and if, the, if the mayor came out and said, well, crack is illegal, but we're not going to hold you accountable for it if we catch you. People be smoking crack all over the place, right? Right out in the open. Why? Because they know they can. So to the police. So to the police. So, so once again, to stave off hate mail to you, Corey, <laughs> we're not saying that all police are, are horrible people. What we're no. saying is that we have created a system that allows horrible people to, pro to prosper, to remain in place. And if you think it through, you'll see similar systems elsewhere. A large part of the problem with our public school system is the same thing. It's not that teachers are horrible. It's that we have created a system in which teachers who happen to be horrible can remain in place. Mm -hmm. So too with police. Yeah, if you want to see why anything is happening, good, bad, or otherwise, just follow the incentive structure. I like people who's getting paid, basically. People people respond to incentives. Yep. And it's more than just pay. It's you know the amount of crap you can get away with. It's vacation, uh, ease of ease of work during the day. There are a million different incentives, but just follow them and you'll find the answer. Wow. It's that's... it's never that complicated. Yeah. And you would think it that it would be solved simply because it's you not that complicated. But you would, you would think that, wouldn't you? But then <laughs> we have. But then that brings us to your book. That is right. correct. That's true. <laughs> which which everybody should go out and get right now. I ordered one this morning, so thanks. Cooperation man. and coercion, Amazon.com. Yes. Much appreciated. Um, that's awesome. I appreciate you guys uh, for coming on and I would love to do this in the future. Um, always have good insight and you guys are just super smart and always blowing my mind. Like I can't believe half the shit we talked about. <laughs> well, you could you could do some research on it and find out that we're blowing smoke. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I hope not, because it sounds logical. So yeah, we're we're really not. Yeah, no. This is this is this is good. But thank you again, guys. I really appreciate it. Any thank last you, words? Yeah, Corey had a great time hanging out with you in this corona coronavirus sort of way. Hope yes. we can do it in person one of these days down the yeah. road. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And that's it for the E4 Explosive Podcast. We'll see you next time. Take care of yourself, Corey. Thanks.